Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be a question and answer session that followed my discussion about Faction Rally going on hiatus. At the beginning of Season 4, there will be no Faction Rally. It is phrased a little bit differently than Trials, so there may be a chance it comes back in Season 4, but we don't know yet. It did say just at the beginning there'd be no no Faction Rally. It could come later if they make some updates. I outlined some changes and summarized the feedback that Bungie had been getting from people, and I gave some ideas of ways they could improve Faction Rally to give people that freedom of choice, but also freedom to grind at their leisure while maintaining some of the urgency and some of the chase and hustle that you have to do when there's a gun or an item that you really, really want. You kind of want to have both things firing in order for the event and factions to, I think, be at their best. And I think a hybrid, I think a hybrid of factions being available all the time and items kind of dropping down and being available all the time every time a new rally happens. But also the new rally would then have new things to chase that could only be available that week and you gotta kind of wait a month. I think that'd be a pretty good way of doing it. So, first question is from Lightleap. <clears throat> and again, these questions do not have to be purely about Faction Rally. So this is one that is not about Faction Rally, and I'm totally fine to answer them. As long as it's about Destiny, right? Like, you start asking me questions about Fortnite, and we're going to skip right over them. Um, what do you think of paid carries? Recently befriended some good PvP players and was disappointed that they do it. Don't know what to do about it. All right, here's the thing you got to consider. Here's the thing you got to consider. Whenever someone creates value, all right? value perceived by people and those people then being willing to pay for that value is between them and the consumer so i've gotten criticism before about our lfg and clan system being sub only you, know, you got to pay five bucks a month and you get access to one of the most probably it is no no it's not probably it's the most organized lfg and clan system in existence nothing is better than what we had right nothing is better and i've gotten criticism right It's a value that we created. I fostered a community that was all about helping and running raids and coming together and being cooperative. And the $5 sub hurdle helps us have control and quality control and accountability, right? Raid carries are in a different different vein, but they're similar in this way. This person has created enough value and demand that there are willing consumers to pay for the opportunity to not only play with them, but to be, you know, guaranteed a quote-unquote carry in trials, all right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. I, I Like, I know a lot of people pivoted to free. They pivoted to free. But a lot of people that did quote-unquote free raid carries, they were just they were just moving the goalpost and, and, and playing a shell game. They were still heavily, heavily waiting it for people who paid money. You could pay money for in-game uh, currency in their chat. You could sub to them. There were all kind of ways that you could increase your chances of playing with them that was related to money. But it was quote-unquote free because you weren't paying an actual transaction at the time. To a certain degree, that was actually a, a really smart way to do it too because you can't charge back. You can't charge back those things that got you, you know, subbing, etc. It's between... It's between the consumer and the business at that point. I got really annoyed with people who called out, uh, wish you luck. Somebody called him out, called him scummy, called him human garbage, all this terrible stuff because he disagreed with his business model. And I'm like, I mean, people, people spend money for bottled water and I think that's the most ridiculous thing ever, right? But I'm not going to mock or make fun of or call the people who buy bottled water stupid and I'm not going to go on some tirade about how like water bottle you know companies that bottle water and sell it ought to be ashamed of themselves it's so scummy 
They have a product that some people perceive has enough value to warrant transaction and other people may not. They may say, just buy a Nalgene and fill it from the dadgum faucet. You know what I'm saying? That's what I do. Louisville water tastes fantastic. They literally win like tap water taste competitions. Like the pH levels, the water here in Louisville is wonderful. It's great. Uh, It's one of the reasons that all of the... the, uh, all the bourbons made here because we have the largest limestone aquifers here and limestone filtered water is uh, required for making good bourbon so but it's whenever whenever you look at a situation like that and you're like these people are charging money for this service if there are willing consumers there's nothing wrong with it oh why don't they do it for free why should they? It's what, Where's the impetus on them to give away their time, skill, and abilities and stream time to just anybody that wants it for free? Right? It, to me, it's like, if, if you're not willing to pay for it, fine. There's There are people who are willing to pay for it. And their skill, their ability to play, they don't owe that to anybody. They don't owe that to anybody. And so, I think there's a big misconception about paid carries and a lot of it's built on the assumption that well they should just do it for free no I don't believe there's an impetus on them it's just like what we said about the ninja situation right your hardship and trying to go flawless in trials your hardship and struggle does not create an impetus on people doing trials carries right inequality systemic you know sexism and it's harder for you know women to grow on the twitch platform that reality doesn't create an impetus on ninja to run his personal life and business in another way you don't get to create an impetus just because you have a hardship well i can't go flawless you should just do it for free no i disagree i just i i highly highly disagree with that it's a false premise and a false conclusion you can't prove either and so i i don't have a problem with it if you listen and it's the free market if you don't want to support somebody who does paid carries right you don't want to watch their stream you don't want to sub to them that's your choice as a consumer if it bothers you to that level that you're like i don't want to do that fine then don't support them but like going out on this tangent and like trying to like slander them for doing paid carries and going after them and stuff like that like i just don't think that that is that's the proper response at all Right? I just don't think it's the proper response at all. So, uh, Monkey Buttface, one of my favorite usernames, Monkey Buttface, have they confirmed Escalation Protocol is coming back? They haven't said anything about it. We actually don't know. If they have, I haven't seen it or, or, or heard it. Uh, Crisis Rogue, what's your dream objective in life? I really, really want to be a diverse broadcaster slash entertainer. Like, I think the way that I speak, I think the value that I can bring to hosting, interviewing, shoutcasting, uh, I'm quick on my feet. I think I'm, I think I do well in this landscape. That's what I want to do. I, I like, if I could be doing shoutcasting, periodically doing hosting and interviewing because people want your face, people want your voice and your personality. That's what I want. I want to be sought after as that, as that talent. You know what I'm saying? Not just being a streamer, not just people that are like, I'm a Destiny streamer, I'm a this streamer, I'm a that streamer. I, 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 I'm playing the long game. I have such bigger goals than just to be a streamer. And streaming is obviously one expression of what I'm good at. And like, if you look at Golden Boy, right? 
highly talented shoutcaster, very, very gifted personality. You look at him, you can set him on a desk, you can set him at a shoutcasting booth, and he brings value. He's an asset. He improves the quality of whatever it is they're doing. And I think I can do that in a variety of ways. Whether you put me on an E3 uh, you know, desk or stage to interview people, to present, to host, to be on the mic looking at the camera, I really want to get into shoutcasting Fortnite. I love it. It's very satisfying. I would love for that to become a huge, huge reality for me. Uh, I think I think I could be a, a, a huge uh, a huge asset in those ways, and so that's kind of my objective and, and dream. You know, I I don't want to be seen as a streamer. I want to be seen as an entertainer, and that's the difference between me and so many other streamers. I think I think there's a small percentage of streamers who understand and get that this is the entertainment business and you should be doing everything you can to become a better and more talented and more gifted and more diverse entertainer if you want to succeed and be agile and adaptable if you want to evolve that's what you need to set your sights on so that's why I don't focus on sub count that's why I don't I mean we have it in chat and we talk about it but I don't do sub drives I don't incentivize subbing like oh if you hit so many subs I'll do a giveaway if you hit so many subs I'll, I'll you know I'll dance around like a chicken like I don't do any of those gimmicks because that's short game that's short sighted short game now somebody said in chat and my wife asked me about this and 30 and so gaming Mike he posed the same question to me what if people told you you had to clean up your look and shave uh, cut your hair to cast, would you still do it? I don't think they would ask me to shave. I've seen plenty of professional shoutcasters and people in booze with beards, as long as it's kept. Like, I obviously don't go ZZ Top on them. If they asked me to cut my hair, I would very, very heavily consider it and probably be willing to do it for a good opportunity. I probably would. My hair is not a part of who I am. Like, I've had short hair before. I don't mind having short hair. Um... I've, my hair's actually been bothering me lately. You guys have noticed on some casts, I put it behind my headphones. I wear a ponytail in the evenings now. I am getting a little sick of it. So it wouldn't be a hard decision. A year ago, I'd be like, I don't know, man. I really like my hair. It's just, I don't know. The older I get, yeah, I'm around my kids. They pull on it. They get, they get food in it. It's just like, you know, it's not something where I feel like I have to keep my, my long hair in order to be true to myself. Um... I have goals. I have goals and aspirations that are far bigger than having long hair. Right? I have goals and aspirations that are far bigger and larger and more massive. My 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 vision for the broadcasting platform, the future of broadcasting, the future of Twitch, my potential future is so much bigger than having long hair and being true to myself. Like it's so much bigger than that. If you want to if you want to achieve bigger things, if you want to achieve bigger things and be attached to bigger things, you got to be willing to let go of the little things. If you're not willing to let go of the little things, then are you are you actually going to ever achieve the big things? So, we're getting preachy and we're getting on Twitch stuff, so I'm going to go off on tangents. We need to move on. That's not what this Q&A is about, <laughs> but that was a good question. Uh, Freyfrey52, do you think they will bring Radar back to comp and future trials? Did it have the desired effect they wanted? Thoughts on the need for improved directional sound jumping? Yeah, there's a lot that would need to happen if they're going to leave Radar out. Right? 
there is a lot that they would have to change if they're going to leave radar out. This game's not built for no radar. I don't care what anybody says. I, their, their impressions, their experience. Destiny was just not built to not have radar. It, at this point, it's almost a, it's almost a four-year-old franchise. You can't yank radar out of it and be like, yeah, it make footsteps a little bit louder. It's not that kind of game. Uh, Jared All Gamer was 17 months, almost a year and a half of support. Hey, there, Lono the Entertainer. Keep doing what you do, sir. You're amazing. Have a great community. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Jared. You've been around for a long time. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that the game is too, too built. Too built around from the ground up. Movement. Uh, map design. The feel. How you occupy space in Destiny. I just don't feel like this game works without radar. Now, does radar need to be looked at? Yep. It does. Do they need to consider different ways? Like, does it reach too far? Does it need to do what I've said? I think it should be sonar. I think it, like, you know when you crouch and it pings? Like, you're there, then you're not there. You're there, then you're not there. If it pinged like sonar, just like that, and if it slowed down... We had so many good ideas the other day about how to rework radar. Those pings should slow down the longer that you're ADS'd. That you get slower and slower and slower. So the, the, the player's getting less feedback on player location when they're just sitting there hard scoping a lane. And you can't just unscope and rescope to reset it. You'd have to be unscoped for the amount of time that you were scoped to reset it. It would be like a debuff. Every second it would get slower and you'd need those seconds to get it back to normal. That would punish you for long, just just freaking uh, hard scoping, and it would reward people with quick target acquisition, people that are really good at quick scoping, people that are really good at zeroing in on you with a scout or a pulse, just like as soon as you see you, just like zoom in, boom, boom, boom. Like, it would reward skill. And it would enable players with shotguns and snipers and even scouts, ranged weapons and close range weapons, to potentially take you by surprise because they can get to where you are before you know it or in a way where you get taken by surprise. So that's my idea of where radar needs to go. A sonar pinging radar that slows down when you ADS and whenever someone's crouched like it, it it enables them to hit the ping a little less often but they still hit the ping so estimated profit what do you think about them adding a vehicle type and said uh, instance in the raid interceptor tank other that would be pretty fun I'm not against them putting in vehicles I would be concerned about the number of vehicles for console players If you remember the Siege Engine and you remember the walkers and the smoke and the fire and the terrible frames, I would be concerned about the the number of uh, vehicles for the performance of the console players. One or two interceptors, okay. I want to take control of a walker is what I want. I want to bust open the top of a fallen walker and I want to pilot the dadgum thing. I want to walk around with it. I want to take aim. I want to shoot stuff. That would be fun. It'd be really fun to blow open the top of a walker and then you got to get inside of it and you need that in order to knock the shield off of the boss. Like maybe he's really big and you're out in a big open space. That'd be freaking just awesome. So. Uh, Creepy Gene. Would you rather see new lore, planetary adventures, and patrols for faction rally tokens or more just doing strikes, giving more faction coins and vanguard? I mean, I think in general, they need to take a look at the, at the spectrum of the weekly experience of the player. What can you do? 
you can do at the, at the most menial task, the easiest task is a patrol and then a public event and then a lost sector. They're all in kind of the same hemisphere. Then there's adventures. Then there's heroic adventures. Then there's strikes, varying difficulties on strikes. Then there's nightfall. Then there's raid. Crucible somewhere in the mix. Okay. I think you look at that spectrum of the player experience and then you just determine what's the exchange rate of time. Okay, an hour of running strikes versus an hour of running patrols and pubs and, and lost sectors. An hour of running strikes should be more lucrative for you. An hour of running nightfall should be more lucrative than running strikes. You see what I'm saying? You create a spectrum of reward that's just sensible. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be getting the best stuff for running the, the weakest content loop. You should be getting the best stuff and the most and the most rewards for running the, the harder content loop, right? Now, that doesn't mean you can't get a good gun or a good rolled weapon or good armor just by playing pubs and doing bounties or something like that, but the turnover, the exchange rate has to be looked at, right? It has to be looked at. You should be getting a better exchange of time to reward when you're in harder content or content that just takes more skill and and is more challenging. That's how you do it. You just create a spectrum and then you just tell people as you move along this spectrum, if you spend an hour in the raid with your buds, you're going to get more tokens and more stuff for faction rally than an hour of strikes. That's just how it should work. That's incredibly sensible. And if anybody got mad about that, like, well, that's not fair. I can't raid. I can't get more stuff. Well, what the frick would be fair then? The guy who spends an hour raiding, helping people run a raid, or maybe there's their first week and they're struggling and they're having a hard time, they should get less rewards than you do running public events? Like, come on, be real, be real. Your level versus the level of content will be eroded appropriately? Well, that's with respect to power. Yeah, if you go into un- content underleveled, you're going to have bigger power jumps. If you go into content overleveled, you'll have smaller power jumps. Tokens and faction rallies should work the exact same way. An hour of pubs? Right? Right, like what Juicebox is saying. Like, I run public events for an hour, I get 100 tokens. I spend an hour in the raid, I get 8 tokens. That's stupid. That's dumb. It should scale. Now, it shouldn't be, you don't ever want to get into what I call the theater of the absurd, where an hour in the raid, you get a thousand tokens, and you basically are done with the event because you ran the raid one time. Well, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's the theater of the absurd. That's so rewarding that you you basically, de- you devalue and invalidate the content, right? Evil Lord says, stop making sense, I've had enough of this logic. Thanks for 29 months, Evil, love you, man. Wish we would have got to spend some time together at uh, at Guardian Con. Was good seeing you for a brief bit. Um, but if it staggers up, what you're not trying to do, listen. L- l- let me let me make something clear here with what I'm saying. You don't want to funnel everybody to the hardest content, right? Oh, funnel everybody to the raid because you get 400 tokens for one raid. That's ludicrous. That's too. That's that scales too high. What you want to do is establish a spectrum so wherever the spectrum of player lands, they feel rewarded appropriately. People that love running strikes, nightfalls, and raids don't feel like, well, I have to go run pubs, patrols, and lost sectors because that's the best token farm. That's that's dissonant. There's a dissonance there that doesn't make sense. I don't. That's not what I like doing during the week. I'm not arguing that you basically land on faction rally and you're like, oh well, for frick's sake, 
I'm going to get a terrible token turnover rate in pubs. The only really sensible thing to do would be to raid. I'm arguing that there's a spectrum of player that puts so many hours a week into the game, and when they're done, they should feel appropriately rewarded. So the guys that raid like crazy, or grind strikes, or nightfalls for catalyst, or whatever it is they're doing, they should end their play session. Whenever they end their play session, they're like, that felt rewarding. I feel rewarded for my time. The way they designed Faction Rally, you had to basically play, no offense to casuals, I play like a casual every day. I'm playing like one right now. I'm just grinding pubs, right? But everybody felt like, well, I have to play like a casual. I, I don't want to play this. I don't like being in the public space and grinding patrols and lost sectors. I don't like this content. And they're free to feel that way. Just like if you don't like running strikes, nightfalls, and raids, you shouldn't feel like the reward structure is so heavily slanted that the only sensible thing to do would be to raid all week. You see what I'm saying? You don't ever want to have the pendulum swing too far. This is like a sociological thing, right? This is what people do. They always swing too far in their reaction. They respond to hate with just another shade or another color of hate. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you you hate me or you hate those people and they overreact and they respond with hate and vitriol and it's like, but they feel justified because it's against hate, right? And people do the same thing in video game suggestions. Well, the people that just play casually, they shouldn't get anything. They shouldn't get any tokens. All the tokens should be over here. And so they want the pendulum to be like, swing all the way over here. You don't want to do that. You want to kind of try to not fall off either cliff and stay closer to the middle where it's more balanced. So, perfectly balanced as all things should be. Thanos. It's Xanohans. What is your opinion on the fact that Bungie is showing the drop rates of Eververse items? Good, they should. They should. That's exactly what they should do. They like that that's anytime somebody's spending money on something where there's a chance they're going to get an item, they should see the percentage chances. Give an example. I go to the mall, I go to the mall, and let's say I was allowed to do this for whatever reason. Okay, let's ignore gambling laws and, and, and permits and stuff. Let's just say I can go to the mall and I can approach children and I can say, hey, you like Fortnite? Yeah, I like Fortnite. All right, well, I have this, I have this box here, and if you give me $5, I'll let you open the box, and there's a chance you'll win 1,000 V-Bucks. I would be a rich rich man by the end of the day, right? So many, yeah, I'll pay $5, I'll pay $5, I'll pay $5. If in the back of my mind, the chance of them getting a thousand V-Bucks is .000001%, I'm not lying, but I'm pretty dadgum close to lying. I'm about as close to lying as you can get. They have zero clue that they are, according to mathematical probabilities, they are essentially throwing their money away. Anytime someone is spending money at a chance at an item in a video game, they should know the chances going in so they're an informed consumer. When you play the lottery, unless you are incredibly stupid, you know the odds are really low for you to win. People still do it anyway. They get addicted to gambling. The reason it's not traditional gambling is because there's no monetary value. You're not being sort of tricked and duped to like, we can make your $5 become $5,000 and then you're very wealthy. And so people that are poor are attracted to 
they're attracted to gambling and casinos because it's this it's this illusion and this promise of a potential savior for your financial strain. So spending money in video games for cosmetics isn't gambling in that sense because there's no monetary value. They can't turn around and sell the items and you know make it rich. But but if the perception is I could spend money and I might get this really cool thing, I think more and more companies are going to start saying here's the percentage chance of that item. And the grand irony in this situation is if companies start saying well, why don't we just double and triple the amount of cosmetic items and just raise the probabilities on all of them? That's going to be really, really winsome and people are going to find that very appealing. They'll spend more money, right? You can get rich in some games. I'm talking specifically about cosmetic-only items that are not tradable or sellable. I'm, I'm not talking about I, like when, like the CSGO crap. I'm not talking about that. Um, I think if companies leverage this idea right, they might end up making more money. Can you imagine? Imagine with me for a second if Fortnite introduced a loot box where you had a 25% chance of getting any number of skins, right? And they show this week's loot box and they show seven skins and they all have a 25% underneath. 25%? One in four? Heck yeah. I don't have six out of seven of those skins. I'm going to buy one of those boxes those percentages would actually serve as a motivator. People would be like, uh, yes. And then they're, they're an informed consumer. They know what they're signing up for. They know there's a low chance of getting the item that they want. Maybe they only want one out of the six, you know? So I, I, I'm glad they're doing this. And I think if, if communities, uh, if communities respond appropriately and really demand this sort of thing, I think everybody benefits. I think everybody benefits. If someone's willing to spend money for some silly skin in the game and, and, and they don't care that it's a low percentage chance, at least they're informed. At least they're an informed consumer and developers and companies are actually put in a position where they have to really show us what we're getting for our money. I, I think everybody wins in that situation. Developers and companies will probably make more money. The consumer is more educated and more informed about what they're spending their money on. I think that's a win-win. I honestly and truly think that's a win-win for everybody. So, let's go to the next question. Havoc, uh, Havoc's DK. What do you think about people not being able to obtain Redrix due to its atrocious grind? Uh, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. There should be items you can't get really easily. I don't have one. I will probably never have a Redrix, and I don't deserve a Redrix Claymore. I haven't put in the time. I haven't put in the time. Right? Look, think about how much you devalue someone's work, grind, effort, and passion and care by saying, well, this stuff that's really, really powerful in the game is super easy to get. Right? So, for example, when people were getting the Midnight Coup Hand Cannon and the Sins of the Past Rocket Launcher from Clan Ingrams, they weren't running the raid, they weren't doing it faithfully, they were just periodically every week, they were just going in saying, all right, let me let me pop open this Clan Ingram, see what I get! You invalidate the effort and the energy and the play decisions of the, of the, of the more hobbyist player base by doing that. You just do. It, 
you make, you devalue, you devalue the item and you kind of invalidate the energy and the, and the commitment from the player when you do that. You devalue the weapon. If the weapon's super accessible, it just doesn't, it's just not as valuable. Well, why should it matter if other people have the Redricks? Why should it matter if other people have the gun? It's a looter shooter. Like, the sheer nature of something powerful being rare has within it a higher value. Why the frick do you think diamonds are so valuable? They're rare. You can't go in your... I have never done this by accident. I'm literally... I was on that thing. I was like, why am I going up? You can't go in your backyard and just go digging for diamonds. But there's plenty of rocks in your backyard and no one gives a frick about them. Right? I could break a window with a rock and a diamond in... in, Obviously in the movies, right? They cut open windows with diamonds sometimes. But like... They're both hard stones, they're durable stones, right? One's really pretty and one's not necessarily very pretty, but it's all that's all a matter of subjectivity, like what's pretty, right? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's the same idea. If you take something and you make it very common, that is de facto a devaluation of the item. Everybody has it. It's not nearly as cool, right? So... The power and the rarity, I think, must be intrinsically linked. God rolls are a similar idea. You've got to put in the time or you're not going to have a God roll. You might. You might get really, really lucky. And think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about how that works with God rolls. Track with me here. If it's really, really rare and it takes a long time for people to get a God roll and you're that lucky son of a gun that gets the God roll right away or you were that lucky son of a gun that got the Galahorn right away, oh, that's sweet. Oh, that's sweet. That's like finding $20 in the parking lot. You see what I'm saying? It's, oh, look at this roll, man. My second try. Oh, my gosh. The value is still in place because the chance is like, oh, it makes it more exciting. But when everybody's running around with the Escalation Protocol shotgun, when everybody's running around with the, with the Midnight Coup hand cannon, it's kind of like, well, there's nothing really that exciting about it. You either got... So if you think about God roll stories that we're going to hear in a couple of months, it's going to be like, dude, I spent three weeks. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to finally have this. That's a good story. It's also a good story to be like, oh my gosh, dude, my friend spent three weeks. I got this thing right away. (laughs) Isn't that great? Oh my gosh, it's so good. I love it so much. Both of those stories are cause for celebration. Why? Because it's a low chance. The low chance is it's part of the psychological satisfaction. You can't divorce it from it. You just can't. Blazing Glory 33, I always hear people say that faction rally needs to be changed, but they go into detail, but they but they go into detail. Oh, but I think they meant to say they say what needs to be changed, but they don't go into detail about what needs. If you could change it, what would you change? I rattled off in my talk. So if you're listening to the Q&A and you didn't listen to the talk, maybe you just enjoy the longer sessions. I said that aspects of faction rallies should be available all the time. All of the cosmetic stuff should be available all the time. And then they have a week, they have the rally, and it introduces new stuff. Awesome guns, dope dope stuff. And with random rolls, there's a sense of urgency. Maybe there's a certain gun that could drop a certain way and you really, really want to try to get it. There's that urgency during that week. And then all those new items go away for a month. They all go away for one month right and then the next time faction rally comes around those items drop down into the pool 
they drop down into the general pool. So at any point in time, once you're in the second week of faction rally, the general pool that's available all the time has just gotten bigger and now has those stuff. So it creates the urgency in the chase, but it also allows people to be like, I can't play this time around. I'll wait till next time. And that still creates the urgency because you're like, I really, really want a god roll hand cannon from Dead Orbit. And now that it's in the general the general population or the general loot pool of Dead Orbit, I'm going to grind Dead Orbit like crazy during my normal weekly activities. That is how you do Faction Rally. The week during the rally, if you want to get it before anybody else, if you want to try and get the best roll before anybody else, you're going to grind during that week because it's not going to be in the general loot pool for an entire month. That creates the urgency but it also creates the freedom to wait it takes the pressure off the player to feel like i'm gonna play every single time and they need to go back to being able to uh, pick three different factions and not just one that is literally the perfect solution for faction rally it maintains everything that's good about faction rally while also sort of meeting the community feedback and giving us a better version so i wouldn't be surprised if we see some semblance of what i just said because some of that's already kind of in place the week after, you could turn in tokens and still get the skins and scu- you know they, uh, the cosmetics. They had the thing where like once you went beyond thirty engrams, you still got the the cause the skins, you know, the cosmetic stuff. So they already kind of hinted at this possibly being where it's going. So we are so close too. Yeah, twenty days. Somebody just put it in chat. Mel Buggin, Miss Mel says, "What is something that our children get to experience in their life that you never thought would be possible?" Um, interconnect, immediate interconnectivity, which obviously is, this doesn't really relate to faction rally, but immediate interconnectivity. They can literally any, at any point in the day have immediate connectivity. So my daughter could become friends with somebody from India, right? She could, she could in her future life play video games or make a YouTube channel or, or get into get into some technological industry and she could become friends with somebody in India like that call them on the phone text them email them immediate the immediate it's called it's 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 globalization basically it's immediate globalization it's not just globalization within within an economic framework where like trade and me sending you parts for your you know your your factory and you sending me parts for my factory right and we give each other better prices because maybe the you know the the material economy in your in your country is better for making screws and the material economy in my country is better for making cotton balls you know what I'm saying so then that globalization I think now also touches down on just connectivity of just the common man. So, this is why playing video games is so fun. (laughs) Solar Eagle, one of the reasons it's so fun. Solar Eagle says, should I start farming planetary tokens and will they be important come forsaken? I think you'd be better off putting on a ghost and whenever you're doing what I'm doing, do what I just did a second ago and grab the... uh, grab the materials. I think the resources are going to become an, they're going to have an increased value. I think they're going to have an increased value in Forsaken. That's what I would be grinding for. The tokens are going away. I would just grind for both. The tokens are going to help you gain rep past Forsaken. Don't do anything with them now, but I think you're going to get a far better exchange rate on the resources. That's a, that's a guesstimation. I don't know anything. That's just my guess. Juice box with a really long one. Lono, in the beginning of D2 leveling, we found that the fastest way to raise power level was to level one character and then transfer weapons to the next. I figured out that if I level my least favorite and move to my most favorite, by the time my main was done, he was higher than he would have been if I leveled him first. 
Have you thought of the fact? Have you thought of this fact when deciding which character to level first? No, dang it. And now I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Um, to me, they all end up in the same destination. So I can see where you're coming from. So I could see saving. My favorite is Titan. I love running as a Titan. And that Superman, that Superman slam looks so cool, right? But I think the most efficient guy for raids is going to be a Warlock. So I could see playing as my favorite, but then just admitting as far as efficiency goes and influence, I think the Warlock's going to have far higher levels of efficiency and, and, and be a better choice to end with. So I think your point's well made. Obviously, I'm not going to save my Hunter because my Hunter is likely to be one of the least efficient in PvE. I mean, obviously, Tether's super influential, but um, I think Warlock's going to be more influential in endgame PvE content, so I may save him for last while playing through at the beginning with the Titan because I think the Titan looks really fun. Not everybody's going to be able to divide it the way I just did, though. The one that you think is the most fun may be also the one you want to save for the end. Rodimus Prime. With the inclusion of mods uh, in Forsaken... How viable will be it to how viable will it be to create certain quote builds? For example, armor set with super cooldown reduction or solar skill cooldown set. Yeah, I mean, I think you are going to be creating builds and that's what's so freaking fun. I reference my build all the time when I finally got a tier 12 Starfire Protocol build with hand cannon reload, I was stoked. I fi- a tier 12 with hand cannon reload for my Imago loop and I could wear my Starfire protocol. My discipline was maxed. When I would pop my super, I could throw fusion grenades as fast as I could click the frickin' button. So much fun. People would watch me do Wrath of the Machine and say, how is he throwing grenades so fast? Why isn't he using Dark Drinker? And I would show them. That's exciting. That's personalization and customization in its greatest form in its greatest form you striving for what you perceive to be the most efficient or the most appealing build and you go after it right that is that is essentially what people really really want right now as Valiant saying it's just been pretty binary it, it, it just you're either this or you're that and so I think that the, the build the builds and the mods and stuff could could be hugely influential Zephyr Hill, <laughs> Zephyr Hill. This is uh, this is somebody from Florida. How do you think hunters will play a role in PVE, given the arguably better abilities of the latter classes are receiving for PVE? It's like this person read my mind or saw the future. I already, yeah, I just touched on this. Um, hunters will always have tether in their corner, and that's why I think they felt justified in making Orpheus rig so so strong, right? Orpheus Rig and Tether makes Hunter a viable PvE option in the right circumstances. Celestial Nighthawk on a Goldie, same deal. I think Bungie feels justified in making that combination stupidly strong, because without it, you just there'd be no reason to ever do that. Arc Strider with Raiden Flux, same deal. In the right context, Arc Strider is broken against many bosses. It's stupid. But they do that because that's really the only way you could argue Hunter has viable PvE choices. If you take away Orpheus Rig, Raiden Flux, and Celestial Nighthawk, Hunter is a joke in PvE. A joke. Now, some people might say, I don't really like having the viability of the subclass or the class tied to exotics. 
I would tend to agree with someone who said that because if they're going to make exotics more rare and harder to get, what new attunements, what new supers, what new abilities are going to feel incredibly crappy until you get the right exotic? Did you see what I'm saying? I think Bungie misfired by oversimplifying the builds, and I think that the result of that was you have builds and attunements and their capstone is a piece of gear and that's the wrong way to do it when you play borderlands 2 and you get all the way down to the capstone of a given skill tree there's oh wow this is awesome you don't have to go find gear to capstone the build there's a capstone intrinsically built into the subclass and i personally think i personally think like the orpheus rig ability and celestial nighthawk and raiden flux those should be capstone abilities in those skill trees that you sacrifice a lot in order to get them. And then exotics come in and can kind of fill some gaps, maybe. Like, what if Orpheus Rig... What if Orpheus Rig gave you your super energy back whenever it, you know, caught up a bunch of people and it gave you melee energy and grenade energy back, okay? But you traded a lot of other things for that. It's a capstone, right? You're digging in on that skill tree and getting to that capstone matters more, but in doing that, you can't go off in this direction either. So you would take elements of Night Stalker and you would say, this track and this capstone is very, very different, right? So you, you the capstone of the skill tree would be like the Orpheus rig ability, and if you go in this direction, the capstone would be something else that's crazy, you know? Like, maybe a tether that entangles a larger field of of enemies and stuns them and does damage over time well wow that's really cool that's way better than orpheus rig well maybe maybe in some circumstances that would be hugely influential and very helpful and other times you'd be like no i want to run the orpheus rig okay and then you would go and get an exotic that would have like an actual ability tied to it right Orpheus rig, Orpheus rig exotic would suddenly be about, oh, when I wear this, I get to do this extra cool thing. I can, I can, um, I can shoot a second smaller tether with Orpheus rig now. So if I shoot my first one and it kind of messes up and it doesn't entangle a lot of people, I have so many seconds to shoot a second one and maybe try and get the super energy back. But then what about the one that like entangles people and does damage over time? Well, there'd be another, there'd be another hunter exotic that would pair really well with that capstone and it'd be like, well, when they're entangled, they, um, they take more damage from a certain element or something. I don't know. See what I'm saying? Like the exotics wouldn't be capstones to the skill tree. Exotics would be more about what it lets you do. You see what I'm saying? Like, remember what it did in D1. And Exotic was like, oh, I have this extra ability now, sweet. I have an extra grenade, I have an extra melee, that's what Exotics did. Instead of being like, oh my gosh, instead of it being like, well, the skill tree and the skills just aren't that great, but I'll tell you what, once you get this Exotic, it really starts to take off for you. I don't think that's the right way to do it. Dringle the Ape says, I'm torn between D1 and D2 factions. I'm going to reread this question. I'm just going to thank this sub. Obelisk321 with a brand new Prime sub. Welcome to the Rages. Enjoy your dope badge and emotes. You're dope and deserve dope stuff. Remember that when you sub to this channel, we do have sub perks. You can use our LFG and our clan system. So get on in there. Uh, 
I'm torn between D1 and D2 factions and how they are and were handled. I like them being a part of the game like Crucible and Vanguard are. I also like them having their own special week with the focus of factions. What do you prefer, D1 or the D2 way? If you make me choose, like if you force me into like a black and white like dichotomous decision, you either got to pick D1's factions or D2. Because how much I can play, I'm going to be biased and I'm going to go with D2 because I I, I can grind for the stuff. I have time. I'm a streamer. I can put in nine or 10 hours a day if I freaking feel like it. And you might not be able to because you got to work a double at the warehouse or you got to put in extra shifts at the bank over the weekend, like whatever. Like I, I, I don't have that. I don't have those hindrances. So I think I would pick D2, but I have to admit my bias in picking D2, D2's Faction Rally format, I I can play more, and that's not fair, and that's why I say a hybrid between the two would be the best, because my concern is always the spectrum of player. That's like one of my token phrases. The spectrum of player matters. I don't matter as much as the spectrum of player. The hardcore player and the casual player don't matter more than the other. The spectrum of player matters. If you can't satisfy the hardcores, you're going to lose your hobbyists. If you lose your hobbyists, you lose your loyalists and your franchise is tenuous and weak because casuals put down games very easily. If all you do is focus on the hobbyist, you lose a large, large portion of your audience because casuals are large in number. Lower skilled, average skilled players are always larger in number. If you don't satisfy the spectrum, your game will die. And Destiny 2 suffered greatly by focusing so much on one spectrum over the other spectrum. Whenever we were playing D1, I remember answering this question all the time during my question and answer sessions. I'd be in the Plaguelands, and people would be like, what's going to be the biggest challenge for Destiny 2? I always said, satisfying the spectrum of player. This game, for whatever reason, appeals to such a broad spectrum. There are people that just love to run around and shoot stuff in the face. They don't give a frick about the raid. They don't care about the trials, right? Then, somehow or another, Destiny 1 captured hardcore MMO sentimentality players that just want to grind and grind and grind. That like that is such a common common thing in Destiny 1. So bizarre. And so the danger, the danger and the mistake and the misstep that happened with Destiny 2, Bungie focused too heavily on one side of the spectrum. And that creates imbalance. They had a game that had no it had no end game. It had no depth. You had a kiddie pool, basically. You had an Olympic-sized kiddie pool. Wow, Destiny 2 is so much bigger than Destiny 1 at launch. Look at these adventures, these lost sectors. Look at the planets, the public events. There's 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 a heroic version of a public event. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Look at all the stuff to do. And then you go, let's jump in the pool. Boom. And you're like, oh, it's only ankle deep. What the frick? Like, look at how big this pool is. Look how much room we have for all these activities. And you get in the pool, and it's ankle deep. There are people that like to just sit with their foot in the water. They like to wade. They like to just put their foot in the water in the pool. It keeps them cool. They got an iced tea in their hands. They're putting their foot in the water and they're feeling pretty good. But if you build an Olympic-sized pool and you only make the water that deep, you're only appealing to those people that just sit on the side of the pool and put their feet in. You're not appealing to the guys that want to deep dive and try to grab all the rings and come back up. You're not appealing to the person that wants to swim laps or go off the high dive. 
they they are right now as far as i can tell in forsaken as far as i can tell in forsaken they're filling the pool with water so everybody can do the things they want to do if you want to go off the high dive if you want to go down deep down deep in the water and hold your breath for a long time and pick up the rings if you want to swim laps or if you just want to put your feet in you can do that to be fair to bungie everything i just said is ridiculously freaking hard to pull off it's really hard to pull off because if you create depth and grind and you create appeal centered around depth and a grind that's going to feel like a treadmill to the guy that can only play for 10 hours a week if i can play for 10 hours a day that's satisfying that's fun i got lots to do the poor guy with two kids and a 50 hour a week a work week and he comes home and he's got an hour or two a night to play while his wife's at a quilting beer as she's showering or the wife's playing while the dad's washing the car whatever the case may be that little window of time they have they feel like they're running in a hamster wheel they feel like they're running in a hamster wheel because they're like you've made everything take too long making the people that barely engage enjoy themselves while the people that engage a lot enjoy themselves is ridiculously hard to do ridiculously hard to do so people that get bungee crab like you guys this game's a mile wide and an inch deep they don't understand the complexities and the nuances within the player pool and how you keep all those people satisfied it's like going into a preschool of a million children and being like who wants peanut butter and jelly and 20% of the kids raise their hand. Well, all we brought was peanut butter and jelly. Frick. You know what I'm saying? Who wants bologna? 15% of the kids raise their hand. Like, all the different sentimentalities and preferences have to be satisfied. That's really stinking hard to do. Really hard to do. And I'm not a bungee apologist, but dadgummit, like, that's not easy to do at all. Because the type, the players are so different. They're so, so different. And, and to be fair, to be fair, here's why investing in a hardcore grind is where you want to put your chips. You want to put your chips on this side of the table, and I'll tell you why. Destiny 1, uh, Music on Soldier, I think is his name. Frick, I forget his, I forget his name. I think it's Music on Soldier. No, Soldier on Music. Soldier on Music was a Twitch user who said this such a long time ago, and I've always quoted it. I love this. Destiny 1 turned casuals into hardcore players. Destiny 2 turned hardcores into casuals. And the real important thing to remember is hardcore players don't actually become casual players. They just stop playing. They just stop playing. You can't really go the other direction. A hardcore player is going to find somewhere else to grind. They're going to grind Fortnite. They're going to grind World of Warcraft. They're going to grind Diablo 3. They're going to grind Paths of Exile, right? They're going to find something to sink their teeth into, right? The reason you want to put your chips on the side of the table to grind is because a casual player may be casual by default. They don't have a choice. They can't play enough. They would love to play more. Well, that grind's waiting for them if their life situation ever changes or if they have a weekend and they want to go nuts, right? Or if they fall in love with the game, they'll start to carve out time. Maybe they don't go to poker night. Maybe they don't go to the movies. Maybe they cut this out so they can play more Destiny because they can grind more. You always want to give player the players the ability to fall in love and grind more. And the truth about casual players is that play in small numbers... They're generally going to keep playing as long as there's stuff to do. If it's satisfying and fun, they're going to keep on playing. That's how you satisfy the spectrum of player. 
That's how you do it. And I feel bad for the people that want to get everything. I feel bad for the people that are like, I would put in the time, I would run the raids, I would get the gear, I just don't have time. I'm behind my friends. I can't find enough people to play with. I do end up, I do feel bad for those people, but at the end of the day, the, the many outweigh the few. Like, the, the, the many outweigh the few. You have to create a spectrum of game that is there for that broad spectrum of player, and if it, if, if it ends up not landing on you, and you can't really put in the time, and you can't really get the good stuff, well, then the many the, the many are going to outweigh for the few. They just are, and you're going to have to find a way, you're going to have to find a way to either play more, or enjoy the game at the level that you can engage with. You can't argue, like, you cannot argue, oh, no, the game should be shortchanged for my sake. That's just such a terrible, that has always been and will always be a terrible argument. The game should be diluted and devalued and shrunk down for my sake. Why? Why would you ever argue for a game's value to be decreased just because your life situation dictates you can't play that much? What if your life situation suddenly changes? Well, you just spent two years arguing for the game to be turned into mush, watered down, diluted mush, and now you can play more, and now you're going to be mad at yourself. You're like, well, dadgummit, I just spent two years on the forums and Reddit crying for casualification, and now I don't want casualification because I got more time to play. Your life situation is not cause for a game's devaluation. It's not. It isn't. Are you going to approach World of Warcraft and say, you know what, I really love the aesthetic of World of Warcraft, I want all this dope stuff, but I don't want to play for, I don't want to play for five or six hours a day. That's dumb. They should casualify this game for me. Well, sorry, like, you know, golf's too hard, I don't want to put the time in to get good at golf, I just want to be able to play, you know, I want golf to kind of be like putt-putt, they should shrink, they should shrink the green, they should shrink the, they should shrink the fairway, I should just be able to play this like it's putt-putt, you can't devalue and shrink master's level golf just because you don't have time to get better or you don't want to, like, do you see what I'm saying, you can't devalue something because your life situation isn't enabling you to play more, people need to remember that and keep that in mind. Mac 2099, I really like the idea of the faction ornaments, but I don't think they go far enough. The ones that completely change the armor is the Iron Banner ornaments. Should they all be like this? Uh, Mac, I think you're, I I don't think you're remembering some of the best looking armor in the game. It really does change. If you're, if you're not watching this on YouTube, you're not going to be able to see what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Google Play, you're going to miss this, this, this display. Okay. That helmet is a thousand percent different from this helmet. And I think this is one of the best looking warlock helmets in the game. The Sovereign Hood from New Monarchy with the most recent season's ornament, the Executor's Will Cover, is, I think, fabulous looking. Now, some people might not like it. Even if you don't like it, you have to concede the fact that it changes the armor significantly. This is just like a basic, just a very basic helmet with like almost like a cool ninja assassin like slice for the eyes and then you add this and the whole thing changes the whole format right that's the exception not the rule oh i disagree i disagree i think when you go to the simulator gauntlets for future war cult it completely changes okay so the physicality doesn't change you might be right you might be right i'll concede i'll concede that this right here is the standard that they should aspire to then so we're in agreement we're in agreement this right here the physical nature of the ornament should change. It shouldn't just be a skin. I think a lot of the a lot of the gauntlets and stuff 
it was just like a skin. So I think I might agree with you. A lot of the ornaments just became like, oh, well, it's the intrinsic shader then. You don't have to put the shader on. Why the frick do I care about that? Right? So, good question. I agree with you. More physical ornamental changes would be welcome. Uh, Next question from Smart Alex. Why on earth would Bungie depart from the way it was in D1, being able to use the currencies I'm already earning to pledge and purchase their wares was perfect? I think Destiny 2's foundational like economic you know, structures and philosophies, I think a lot of that stuff was built in the wake of year one, and year one was a year full of cries for casualification and making things really, really easy, um, and I think that influenced a lot that influenced a lot. They started building Destiny 2 and I think they centered a lot of around Destiny 1 and then after a year of Destiny 1, I think Bungie said, "We can't do this again. This isn't working. You need to restructure everything." People are saying they don't like the grind. People are saying it's too hard to get stuff, and I think that that narrative heavily heavily influenced the groundwork for this game. And so it's it's a bummer, but I think Forsaken is is them turning the rudder back on course on on the ship. And it took a while because turning a rudder is slow, or you'll break it. If they would have just thrown a bunch of crap in the game to make it better, they might have just broken it and made things worse. Mac twenty ninety nine. The first faction rally grinds were too casual, and the latest ones were almost too hardcore of a grind. Definitely felt burnout towards the end. What's the happy middle ground? And if you could set token rewards for each, what would they be? This question has already basically been answered. I talked about taking the spectrum of the of the of the content and setting rewards in accordance to how many tokens can you get in an hour, right? And making it sensible. So the person who spends an hour raiding should get more tokens than the person who spends an hour on patrol. Um, and then I talked about the happy medium of things being available all the time and certain things trickling out. And then when they're being trickled out, they're only available for that week until next time, and then they get shoved down into the to the general pool. I've kind of already answered this question. Uh, big time killer. In D1, I always thought the doing patrols for certain factions should have rewarded that faction's rep. Do you think that would work well, among other changes? I do kind of miss like just seeing faction stuff pop up. I miss that. I miss like when you were doing Vanguard, like the little diamond would pop up. I think that'd be great. I think I think getting bounties from that faction and then anytime you just do any generic activity, seeing that little diamond pop up and fill, I think that's satisfying. I think that gives you a sense of progression and that gives purpose and meaning to what you're doing. I would welcome that to come back. Uh, Dragon Tat says, should artifacts come back without light level and give another perk customization option? I think we want to be careful. As I just said, if you try and turn the rudder too fast, you'll break the rudder. If they try and do too much too quickly, they can, they're going to break the game. Um, and I call it the theater of the absurd. If you can basically get the right armor and the right gear and just create the stupidest, most powerfulest build ever, you're going to enter the theater of the absurd. Power starts to mean a lot less if there aren't sacrifices made with your decisions. Imagine an auto rifle that just one shot everything and caused them to explode and chain kill other enemies, right? Well, that that would be the theater of the absurd. The gun would be just so strong. Imagine it was perfectly stable and it had the range of a scout rifle and it had like a 50 round clip. You know what I mean? 
that's the theater of the absurd like you're creating so much power you're invalidating all the other shades and colors of power in the game you're making a one-size-fits-all weapon is always and always will be bad so the reason i'm saying all this is that the same thing could happen if you bring back what you're talking about like you could potentially make arguably just absolutely broken builds that invalidates so much of what you could wear, right? Am I going to grind for this armor in the nightfall? Am I going to grind for this gear in the raid if I can I can put on this, 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 and this, and I'm basically a, a, a Robocop or a Terminator, like nobody could kill me? I, I would... Yeah, I would say you got to be careful. And I'm not saying that this couldn't happen. I'm not saying they couldn't bring this back, but if they swing too far, they could they could hurt, they could hurt the game. And then what happens when they do that? They got to retro they got to they got to retroactively they got to take things back. Oh man, we're so strong. This is so awesome and then they got to take power away. Like people are already complaining that the escalation protocol shotguns getting locked into solar, so they can't go tractor cannon and then avoid escalation protocol shotgun with trench barrel. People are already complaining about that, and that's not even a potential build right now. It was a future potential build, and even though it's not a potential build right now, it doesn't matter. The perception is you're making us weaker, and people complain. So you really got to be careful. You don't want to swing and be like, yeah, look how strong we are. And then Bungie's like, oh, crap. Uh, a month in, they're like, guys, we got to um, <clears throat> we gotta scale all this back. Uh, we're breaking everything. So they have to be careful. Baker's Coco says, do you think they will replace the speaker during Forsaken, or do you see that in the future DLC? There's no reason to replace him right now. Uh, the question would probably be, are they going to replace... Cade, I think he's going to be replaced by a statue, like a tower. Uh, not, not, a, not a tower, but a statue that you interact with for flashpoints. I don't think the focus right now is speaker. I don't. I think the focus is on just giving us stuff to do. Pursuits, new antagonists, new story. Four King Ruler. Do you think the Two Tail Fox exotic rocket launcher, rocket launcher would be the best rocket launcher in the game? No way to know. Uh, no way to know until we use it. There's probably going to be... There's potentially going to be bosses in, in areas or or pairs of bosses where it's going to be perfect, right? The two different rockets, the two different elements. There are going to be bosses in, in areas where you go where like, this is incredibly stupid, put that away. Get out the Whisper. Get out the Sleeper. Get out that thing. Get out that thing. You know what I mean? You create what I call contextual power the whisper of the worm isn't going to be always the best if it's a really really agile boss if it's a boss where it's really hard to hit the crit the whisper starts to just really really fall on its face with respect to DPS efficiency because you're not creating ammo and you're not getting box breathing there's all those things and they're already you know that people are already saying oh they're nerfing box breathing let's wait and see exactly what they're doing but it does look like they are going to be nerfing box breathing to reset after every shot which kind of invalidates box breathing as a perk on whisper since whisper needs to be shot rapidly in order for the perk to proc the white nail perk so i'm kind of upset about that but i understand they don't want to invalidate future damage thresholds by making us too strong so bmw what is your perception of the new mod system from bungie's comment of stack up to five times i actually don't know what that quote is from or what they're talking about I like the mod system from what I could tell it was a perk 
You could add, you know, Icarus. You could add increased mag size, increased damage to other enemies. You could add, uh, I think the one, they didn't call it Hidden Hand, but it was Hidden Hand. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like it, but I don't know what you're talking about, stack up to five. Um, maybe someone in chat could try and, like, spell that out for me so I could interact with it. I've not read or seen that anywhere. Uh, are you talking about cooldown mods? I mean, yeah, if there's cooldown mods and you can only stack up to five, that means you can, there's only five pieces of armor, so that would make sense to me. Um, John W. talked about it in a tweet. John Wisniewski? Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Six waves. Should it be easier to get Redrix, or do you think it's in a good spot to create a grind? I think it's totally fine. It shouldn't be easier. You need items like that. I already kind of answered this one. Whamji, do you think Destiny should follow the Anthem model of, quote, matchmaking any content you want to play? You can solo if you want, but matchmaking should be there if you want it. I think there are elements where you can't have matchmaking. I don't think matchmaking would work in Trials, and I don't think matchmaking is good for prestige uh, raids I think when you launch the prestige or harder difficulty now that may be going away in Forsaken since they're going they're doing away completely with heroic strikes and they're getting rid of the prestige nightfall we could see the cessation of a prestige raid as well um and I think that might be a creative way for them to create difficulty but let's imagine the prestige raid is still there I don't think you want matchmaking for that I think when the prestige raid launches you can add matchmaking for normal if you had matchmaking for normal, by that time, people should kind of know what they're doing. It's procedurally difficult. I think you should have to have a mic. I think you should have maybe even like raid training you have to go through where you need a mic or you can't go in. You matchmake, you go in, and you got to do things that require synchronization and, and mechanics so you can kind of prove that you understand basic concepts like stand on a plate and shoot. Because God love them. There are people in this game that would probably not be able to shoot the broadside of a barn while also thinking about something as simple as standing on a plate. There's just players like that. And you don't want to be exposed to that bad of an experience consistently, so they would need to do something to kind of weed out the most spud-like potatoes (laughs) and at least get people that are reasonably good at the game or understand the game uh, and then allow them to matchmake into normal raids only. So... McDouble V should faction rally go away and normal factions come back I basically already answered this uh, but they're going to elaborate here they said because random rolls will turn faction rally into a really aggressive farm fest that's not fun when it repeats I think my solution is the answer to what you're saying if week number two in faction rally has all of the week one stuff dropping down into the loot pool then that's the answer to what you're saying if you didn't have time to do the aggressive grind for that awesome version, well, now it's in the ger- you know generic loot pool of that faction rally, and now you can grind for it when when it's most convenient for you. Uh, CJ Kutranel, what if the walker was a six man vehicle like everyone gets to man a different part of the walker? Well, now you're now you're cooking with gas. Now you're cooking with gas. That would be really really fun. Um, you can. <laughs> You know, you move the leg. Okay, now you move the leg. Now you move the leg. <laughs> that could get kind of funny. One person on each leg, that's four. One person for uh, the spam gun, and then another person for that lock-on, the lock-on t- uh, cannon, the red laser cannon. That could get kind of silly. 
Dstan47, any ideas on how to teach my cat not to walk in front of my screen while I play? No, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Uh, Dsima says, do you think there's a better way to make Faction Rally more engaging besides the Renown system? I didn't really talk about the Renown system, so this this is a pretty good question. I think what you could do is, like I said, I touched on this a little bit. Every planet and NPC could have certain things and bounties for you that are only visible when you are with that faction. So let's say you go up to Devrim K and your new monarchy. He could have very specific things for you to do that are only there for new monarchy and maybe they're challenging and they're tough, kind of like how Renown made Lost Sectors tough. Maybe he sends you on things that are particularly difficult and challenging and they're unique to his planet. Well, when he does that, I mean, you're you're doing that on the EDZ, you're doing it for New Monarchy, and you're getting that increase in stuff, but it's not like Renown where, oh, whoops, I just did something, now I'm really weak, and it's this sucks. Look, I say this a lot, and I get a lot of flack, and there's a lot of guys who, you know, are... Just they suck up and kiss the butts of the hardcore PVE guys, right? Like they love, they love the guys that are really good at PVE, and that's great. I'm I'm glad there are guys that they want their teeth punched, they want their they want their face punched when they play PVE. Okay, I I don't really care that there's people like that. That doesn't invalidate my criticism. It doesn't invalidate my viewpoint. There's always going to be people that want things to be as hard as humanly possible. You're always going to have that, okay? My position is that I'm tired of the end game philosophy of Bungie dialing in this idea that we should feel weak. The Redux missions, the Redux missions for Solstice of Heroes was right in line with that. You feel like weak, trash, like a wet piece of tissue paper. To me, that is not the culmination of a grind that's about power, god rolls and space magic it feels incredibly stupid to spend all this time leveling up powering up getting dope gear getting dope builds and then i go into end game and they're like welcome to the end game you've earned access here you are a weak piece of garbage that is silly to me i i that doesn't make any any sense at all so i think players should feel challenged I don't think you have to challenge players by making them feel weak. When you said, I have to slam the plates at Axis, I have to save the balls at Vosik and throw them at the walls, I have to kill the Light Eater Knights, I have to watch out for unstable light. That requires synergy, awareness, intelligence, strategy, practice, right? That, that requires skill. It's difficult. It's not as easy as it was before they added all those new mechanics. That's how you challenge players. You don't just challenge players by being like, oh yeah, um, these ads right here, they spray their weapons like crazy. They're stronger now. So have fun with that. I don't feel like that's the right way to make content difficult. It's nonsensical and illogical in a game that's all about me feeling powerful. When I went in and killed Oryx, 
and I my gear wasn't strong enough. I got gear checked. I went and I got stronger gear and I came back and I killed a god and I felt I felt awesome. That's one of the most memorable moments in my streaming career. When we came back on Monday and we beat Oryx. That felt awesome. We killed him. We killed and slayed a god in his home. Right? When I went into Leviathan Prestige and I'm getting sprayed and killed super fast by Scions and Bathers and we finally beat it, I didn't feel like I did anything that impressive. I felt like I dealt with a stacked deck of bullcrap and I met it with an incredibly boring and transactional power ammo exchange where kill the bather, get power ammo, use the power ammo to kill the next bather. Boring. Like... Oh, we lost because we ran out of tokens. Boring. Right. Oh, the teams that got world first used the Wardcliff glitch. Why? Because power ammo was literally the linchpin in getting things done quickly. If people didn't get power ammo to drop from their bather, they almost couldn't survive because you couldn't kill them fast enough because it was just this delta-scaled, you're weak environment. And the teams that get world first, the two teams that get worlds first, they're light years ahead of everybody because they used they used a glitch that gave them like just never ending power ammo. Like, good for you, I guess. Like, what a good team. You overcame a damage a damage slant structure by using an exploit. Bravo, I guess. It's way more impressive to go back and watch like the King's Fall Worlds first because they're they're solving the puzzle, there's synergy, there's cooperation. They're not just overcoming feeling like tissue paper by using a power ammo exploit. Which is more which is more exciting, which is more thrilling? I don't even think I need to answer the question. So I think you can challenge the player by not making them feel like garbage. I think you can. I think you can challenge the player by not feeling them like a weak piece of tissue paper. I think it's possible. I think it was done in Wrath of the Machine in King's Fall. They did it in an, an amazing and an excellent and a creative way. And I'm not saying that curated loadouts and modifiers are bad, but I think they should be focused on fun and creativity and not making the player feel like I'm weak. All this stuff that I worked for, all this stuff that I earned, my... I would have been furious if I would have finally got my tier 12 Starfire Protocol build, my Imago God Roll loop, my, my God Roll Imago loop, my my gauntlets that were that were hand cannon reload. I would have been so mad if I crafted all of that and they told me, yeah, you can't use any of that in the prestige Wrath of the Machine raid. I would have been like, wait, huh, wait, what? You just invalidated all of my decision making. I did all that so I'd feel really strong in the end game and you just you just chopped my feet off. You just kicked out the stool beneath my feet. What the frick is this? I think you can do curated loadouts and modifiers as long as the as long as the intention and the philosophy is not let's make the player feel weaker. Let's make the player feel like they they can't use all the stuff that they farmed for and and, and searched, you know? The people, and the reason that this is so important is that the people and the players that are in your endgame are are the people and the players who have played the most. They put in the most time. They've grinded for the most gear. They like the endgame. That's where they live. Don't kick them in the teeth and tell them you're weak or you can't use that stuff. That just doesn't make any sense. It feels like a very, very sharp invalidation of player investment. Big time. 
big time like the redux missions making you feel really really weak to me doesn't feel very celebratory it doesn't feel like i'm celebrating moments of triumph haha look at me i am a god killer no it's like oh i'm i'm a i'm a i'm a freaking crash test dummy getting punched around that's what it felt like it didn't it didn't feel like it didn't feel celebratory it felt like i was getting punched it felt like i was getting bullied you know i felt like i was getting bullied so I think you need to have a categorical difference between those two philosophies if you want, if you want, uh, you know, like the renown system to not feel like this punishing, really, really frustrating environment. And that's why I went off on this tangent. Because the Redux missions and the renown system are all stemming from the exact same philosophy. The way to make content more difficult, the way to make content more challenging and engaging is to make players feel weak. And I just fundamentally disagree with that. I think that that's a terrible philosophy, and I believe it's enormously divergent from Destiny 1's endgame philosophy. Nitro's able. Uh, I believe we've closed question and answer because I'm not getting any more questions. So I think the mods may have closed question and answer because I'm seeing questions in the chat and they're not hitting my sheet. So we can keep discussing after this question. I don't know if you guys are doing that when we hit a certain number or not. Um, I, I, I don't want these to go super long, so we're probably close to an hour, and that may be why they closed it. Nitro's able with random rolls coming back and new super and mods. How do you think this will affect the meta for PVE and PvP? With random rolls coming back and new supers and mods, how do you think this will affect the meta for PVE and PvP? I think that they're probably going to have to build content that understands how strong we could potentially be when we come in. Right? If you create an environment where we can have combinations of mods and abilities and, and all this stuff, um, if you do that, I think you're, you're 100%. You are 100% going to create an environment where you've got to have creative ways of, of, of making us feel like it's tough. Right? I, I said this, I said this the other day when people were like mad about the Escalation Protocol uh, shotgun getting getting the change, right? Um, did Demins do a question number cap to it? I thought they were mentioning that a possibility. He might have been. It hit 32 and it just stopped taking questions. I'm okay with that. We may want to extend that just a little bit maybe 40 and then let me call it we'll have to ask demins that's totally fine 32 is a lot of dadgum questions um if we increase the cap i could just know to go quicker through the questions maybe like because i know we're going to hit the cap pretty much every day this new format makes it so easy to submit questions we're going to hit the cap like every single time we do it um you know and as valiant saying in chat d1 did a better job of adding layers of distraction to, to test their ability to focus right and pain management right it was all about focus and pain management so they added more layers they added more oh this is going to be more difficult for you and that created I think that created that it created this idea that you had to meet that pain management you had to meet those distractions I used to always tell players I'm like don't let that distract you they're just trying to distract you they're just trying to distract you don't fall for it keep your eyes on the prize that happened a lot in Oryx. That happened a lot in Oryx. And so, um, 
I think that I think that's a better way of doing it. And I think I also think I also think that's a better way of keeping the current like power structure and changes to the meta from just running rampant over the content. Like I didn't finish my thought about the escalation protocol shotgun. When they made that change to the escalation protocol shotgun, a lot of people were upset about that. I basically said this is important because if that was a possible build, tractor cannon and avoid escalation protocol shotgun, you basically had one of two results. That was going to invalidate all the content and make it too easy, which means no one's going to use anything else, which is incredibly boring. Or, or Bungie responds and says, we're going to have to make everything quite a bit stronger. And in doing so, we're going to really funnel people and everyone's going to feel like they have to run, avoid escalation protocol, shotgun and tractor cannon. Either way, you're nullifying freedom and decision making. You're making the solution a narrow, narrow one. And that's not good for the content. It's not good to feel like, well, this is the only thing I can do. I have to run this build right that's not that's not what that's not the place you want to be you don't want the content to be so so strong that you feel like you have to but you also don't want the build to be so so strong that you feel stupid not running the strongest build you're always going to have pinnacle builds but you need freedom within pinnacle builds and i think that's super super important when they're building end game content is keeping that in mind that's why delta scaling is so so freaking stupid and frustrating people don't understand people think that i'm just complaining because I want content to be easier. They don't remember that I ran over a thousand Kingsfall raids. They don't know that I was the fastest raffle raiding stream in the directory. Like, they don't know any of that. They just think, oh, he's just whining, it's too hard. Delta scaling creates a summit of damage that requires a narrow solution. Limiting freedom, limiting creativity. It's why, it's why a power ammo exploit led to World's First, right? The solution was narrow. We need power ammo. I'm just going to Wardcliff glitch. Right? It wasn't like, well, if we use this or we do that, oh, this new pain management, this new thing we have to do. Delta scaling whittles everything down to that. And it and it creates it creates a, a bland solution and a bland experience. So that's why I want to see more, more diversity and more pain management, more distraction, more challenges brought to endgame that isn't just all of these trash ads kill you really quickly. I've talked about the spectrum of the enemies before. The red bar enemies, just analyze their behavior for a moment. Go to any red bar enemy, okay, and analyze their behavior. They're usually fast, they're usually very agile, and their their method of attack is usually very spammy. The thralls just slap, 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 you know. The cabal guys, uh, what do they call the legionnaires? They go boom, 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 boom. They just spam that gun. Uh, Dregs do the same thing. They have they have kind of low low accuracy, but high spam on their abilities and low damage, right? It's like when you use a higher fire rate auto rifle, you know impact's going to go down. The, the fire rate of the gun dictates that you, you have to lower the impact. Same thing with hand cannons. Same thing with sniper rifles, you know, in other games. The higher the fire rate, the lower the damage to, to keep things in balance. So when you delta scale a red bar enemy that's supposed to be on the bottom rung of impact, on the bottom rung of damage, and you just suddenly make them stronger, you create imbalance and dissonance. Spam, 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 spam. I'm dead. What the frick? That's a red bar. Why? I just died super fast. Red bars are not just spammy. They're usually higher in saturation. 
there's three or four red bars in an area there's three or four red bars in a given area and they're they're creating challenge in accordance with their damage thresholds when there's suddenly three red bars in an area that are supposed to be fairly weak and they're spamming you everything gets turned on its head they're they're supposed to be weak that's why there's a lot of them that's why there's a lot of thrall swarming you they're supposed to be weak that's why they're spamming you like crazy and the spectrum of enemy just gets just gets upturned because it's like well now they're doing lots of damage I can't kill them quick enough there's a couple of them you know there's a handful of them and then the spectrum of enemy gets really turned on its head when you run into a yellow bar who you can't stun or you can't kill quickly or you can't get rid of his shields and because of double primary the most the primary way that you have to kill them is with power ammo so it just turns into a power ammo exchange again a boring and narrow solution to a problem and a pain point so I, I think I think there's so many things wrong with delta scaling. People that make fun of me for complaining about delta scaling, they never engage with the how many things that I just talk about. How many levels of nuance that I just add to the discussion from the spectrum of the enemy to the to the encounter to the to the damage thresholds causing you to to go towards narrow solutions and narrow, you know, narrow loadouts and you know, predictable and and bland loadouts. Like there's so many levels and reasons why delta scaling is wrong. It's philosophically bankrupt and back in a, in a power fantasy where we're supposed to be getting stronger and cooler and you're not allowing us to do that. There's so many things wrong with delta scaling as a philosophy. There's so many things wrong with saying endgame you're going to feel weak. I outlined a lot in the last like 5 or 10 minutes that typically gets just thrown out the window and run over by people that are like, oh it should be hard. You want it to be easy? And it's just like, no I don't. I, you know I've 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 played many many a raid in my day and I've run triple cannon at Axis and I've shot all four Light Eater Knights at Oryx like I can meet I can meet pain point and challenge on the battlefield. I've done it many 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 times. I don't want things to be easy. I did not like the Atheon challenge at first because of the chaos that it brought, but as we met the challenge on the battlefield and started to mitigate the pain and managing, you know, the organization and the logistics of bringing in new and inexperienced people, it became my favorite challenge. It became my favorite challenge. But if you just delta scaled that environment and we just got melted by all of the spammy red bar ads in the area, right? Think about the way that they bring pain in a fight, right? It's rhythmic pain. They spam you with red bars and then a really strong guy comes. That's just the garden variety way that Bungie makes something difficult. They spam you with red bars and then a strong guy comes. They do it in almost every single raid encounter. And when they turn up the the delta scaling so their damage output goes up, that enemy saturation and that rhythmic pain stops working the way that it's supposed to be working. You're dying to red bar goblins. You're dying to you're dying to weaklings. Because you're a weakling. Every that's it's every single raid encounter. You know, you've got you've got acolytes, then the captain up top. And then you got the the yellow bar captain. That's totems. Right? Every every encounter has that. You got the ads, you got the ads, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. There's the wizards, there's the wizards, here come the knights. That is war priest. That is rhythmic pain management that I don't think functions as it's supposed to when you make everything way stronger and you're way weaker. 
it's very difficult to stay in rhythm. You know when you're in rhythm, right? It's like the red bars are dead. All right, here comes the big guy. Boom, I sniped him. Boom, I hit him with a shotgun. You know, you meet that rhythmic pain. You're switching. Oh, the captain at Fossick. Here he comes. Boom, boom, boom. Occam's razor. All right, back up. Here come the shanks. Pistol, pistol, pistol. Okay, time for the boss. Get out the sleeper. Do you see what I'm saying? There is rhythmic pain management. And when that rhythmic pain management becomes unmanageable because the, the, the pain and the damage is too high and your damage output's too low, it becomes really really frustrating and unfun because you're not figuring out how to troubleshoot and meet pain you're just figuring out how to do more damage which is boring and bland and not that satisfying it's not creative so if you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or watching on YouTube thank you so much got a little long winded at the end there you can always tune in live twitch.tv slash say no to rage or follow me on Twitter at say no to rage as with all of my content I appreciate you listening or watching please like, share and subscribe